This is the Darren Paltrowcast with Darren Paltrowitz. I've been interviewing musicians, comedians, and all sorts of entertainers for almost 20 years. Joan Rivers, Flavor Flav, Paris Hilton, members of Guns N' Roses and the Eagles, and countless others. This show is about artists and why they do what they do. For this episode of the Paltrowcast, I spoke with three different musicians, Jeremy Widerman of the Hamilton, Ontario band Monster Truck, Jesse Mathewson of the Winnipeg-based band Ken Mode, and legendary singer and all-around inspirational force Andrew W.K. First up are highlights from my chat with Jeremy from Monster Truck, whose new album True Rockers came out last month through Dynalone Records in Canada and through the Mascot Label Group in the United States. I first asked Jeremy where the True Rockers album title came from. Uh, as usual, we had the name for the album probably about a year before we even started production on it. We always come up with that stuff pretty early on, and it's usually just kind of a fun discussion where we usually decide that there's no other option um, because it's so perfect for what we're going to do. And then when in the process did you know that Dee Snyder was going to be involved with the album? Um, I think when we were working on that one song, we just kind of knew that we wanted this evangelistic kind of preacher moment and you know we've been pals with him for a couple of years and we just knew he'd be perfect for the job did he actually come down to north carolina or did he do his vocal track independently uh he did it on his own we sent him the stems and he ripped it real quick and sent it right back how did you guys first encounter d in the first place um he heard about our band when he was uh here doing his um he did like a broadway um like musical play here in toronto and he heard the band in a coffee shop um a fan of ours was playing our music uh, at the coffee shop and he was hearing us for the first time and flipped out and has been a huge supporter ever since was he the only you know special guest that you tried to get uh for the album or was he the only one that came through uh he's the only one we got a lot of the times you know we we are faced with pressure from um, management or label to add more people onto the record because it's really great for promotion purposes. But for us, we only really like to do it when it feels like we're finding someone to fit an idea that we have as opposed to, you know, shoehorning a bunch of people on there for no, you know, creative reasons. We always try and kind of, you know, if we have a part that really needs someone to step in and do it, you know, um, we will, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll do it that way, but we, we never like just trying, you know, putting people on the record for the sake of it. Sure. Now what made you make the album in North Carolina of all places? Uh, we recorded there in the past, both the last two records have had at least pieces or more, or more recorded at that studio. It's a place we're familiar with. We've been going there for a long time. They've got the best gear in the world. Um, and it's one of the coolest cities in America. Had you played there, you know, before you had started recording there? Had you played there on tour? No. So it was literally just, uh, you encountered the producer, he said, come down, and then North Carolina. No, no, no. The producer is from UK. So the, the studio was, was, is, is our place, really, that we go. You know, we've been going, we've gone there across different producers. I've gone there in other projects previous to this band um it's just a really really amazing studio that we're really comfortable at it has some of the best gear um both you know uh console wise and uh, you know instrument wise uh, out of any studio anywhere and um you know we kind of went, decided to go with dan weller and he's open to going just about anywhere as long as we were happy and, and it had the stuff that he needed 
So when we showed him the studio, he was more than satisfied with the gear that they had there. And it was just somewhere that we brought him to that, you know, someone we use in the past and that we love a lot. So do you have a favorite song on the new album? Probably Thunder Truck. And, and when in the process was that one recorded in comparison to the rest of the album? The whole album was basically recorded almost all in one in one go, save for a couple songs that we added on afterwards. That song, the conceptualization, that song was not in the sitting heavy um in the sitting heavy um album production it was a song that we've had for years that we kind of had kicking around that we just had had various little problems that that kind of held it back from being on that record and we kind of just held it as a demo in our back pocket and once we'd sorted out a couple of the kinks that were holding it back um, it was an easy fit for this record once we figured out, you know, how we wanted to execute the song. Another thing that's incredible to me about Monster Truck is the caliber of bands that you guys have been playing with over the last two years or so. Guns N' Roses, Slash, Deep Purple, Nickelback, Jane's Addiction, all that. How is that happening? Is that the product of your agent or manager or is, are people just finding out about you guys? Um, it's kind of a perfect storm, really. You know, we, we got a lot of attention early on, um, from bands like Alice in Chains and Deep Purple and, um, Steel Panther even really, really early on. And, uh, it's been a combination of, uh, uh, I think of us being a band that, um, a lot of older, um, classical rock bands can, um, they kind of see them, you know, they see their younger selves in us, I think a lot. Uh, and then you combine that with having excellent management, having incredible agents, um, hardworking band, always on tour, always playing festivals, uh, and then having things happen like D. Snyder hearing your song in a coffee shop, or uh, a lot of a lot of times, a lot of this stuff happens through the the, the tech and the and the roadie industry. You know, a, a lot of guys that, that are guitar techs and, and engineers for other bands have shared us with their with their bands. So you know, they'll they'll see us like the one, there's there's one tech that, that worked for um, you know Alter Bridge that also worked for slash you know so you know they sh- they share information and they they share cds and um it's something that's kind of happened a lot um through through that industry so it's it's really it's it, there hasn't been an avenue that hasn't helped us really get those kind of tours and shows and, and looks and um you know we've never had a deficiency it's just everything's been firing um you know and, and on every avenue and it's always worked well for us was being um, a nominated and ultimately winning a Juno, was that a big part of your career? Not really. Um, it was really exciting. It was a lot of fun in the moment. It was a great Canadian thing, you know, and the, and the Canadian industry cares a lot about. Outside of Canada, no one really gives a shit. It's, it's kind of like a, it's a kind of like a Canada patting itself on its back kind of thing. And, you know, it helped us out with the festival scene for a year you know, and, and, you know, we maybe got some, some better offers and guarantees out of it, but outside of Canada, no one in the U S or UK or Europe knows what a Juno is and, or, or do they care what a Juno is? As an American, I'm aware of it primarily because of press releases that point that out, but <laughs> I know and it's, I honestly go out of our way to tell our publicity to stop putting Juno award winning into our, our press releases. Cause I think it looks it, 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 sometimes it's a bit of a hurdle to try and get out of the Canadian band stigma and, and, and sticking Juno award winning on a, on a press release that's going to Germany. is like, you might as well say we want a wingy dingy award. 
like it doesn't it doesn't make any sense to them out of curiosity if you don't mind what are some of the other you know canadian things that you kind of laugh at that people try and push as as marketing things uh, there's not a whole lot you know and i think that you know what we've tried to do at least uh, is just focus on what we're what we're about combining you know the classic and southern rock sounds with kind of a more modern take of, of metal and, and, and hard rock. And it's, it's really void of marketing angles and gimmicks and all that other shit that, that sometimes other bands way. And we've always just kind of rested on, on the songs and the music and the live show. And that's kind of, I think, what has endeared us to those other artists is the fact that there's just this complete lack of, of, of gimmick. And it's really just built upon us, you know, our live show. You know, even our records don't really do a whole lot for us um, outside of, you know, being a calling card for people that have seen the live show. You know, we've never had uh, amazing album sales. We've had some pretty decent luck at radio with singles and whatnot. But again, those are always separate from the album in an existence form, you know, being that they're on YouTube videos or whatever else. And um, as far as the Canadian angle is concerned, that's not something we rest on. It's not something that has actually given us a lot of advantage. It's not something that will give you a lot of advantage outside of the country. You know, we've had a lot of we've had a lot of help with the, the Canadian grant system, which has allowed us the financial freedom to be able to go lose money in, in the UK and Germany and turn it into markets that are more viable. But other, outside of that, there's, there's no real marketing angles or anything like that that really allow us to to, to leverage. Um, you know, publicity or, or in positive or negative light. Uh, any last words for the kids? Um, just love your own tunes. I, I, I think I spend a lot of years um, spinning my tires, so to speak, in various bands as a, as a teenager and a 20-something, really worrying a lot about what other people thought or what I, you know, what was going to be something that might be popular or successful or whatever, and I really didn't get anywhere. And it was kind of... Uh, a moment of, of clarity in my late 20s when I just completely and utterly stopped giving a shit about what other people thought about what I was doing musically. And that was when Monster Truck started. And it, originally it was supposed to be a band of, of four friends just playing in the bar in our local town. And, and it quickly materialized into the press release that you just got. So that, that was, you know, a really eye-opening experience as far as realizing that you know, you'd really just need to follow your gut and, 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 and like your own music and, and, and like your own songs before, you know, you can really expect anything to happen um, that is going to bring you any happiness. You could probably, if you're really smart and musically talented, you could probably go out and pick, you know, the new hot genre and probably write something that might get you success, but you're probably not going to be happy at the end of the day. So combining those two things is, is one of the, one of the biggest you know pieces of advice I've always give to anyone who asks it, which is love your own songs and, and, uh, and everything else will sort itself out. Next up are highlights from my phone chat with Jesse Matthewson of Ken mode. Loved is the latest album from Ken mode, which was released back in August through new damage records. I didn't get to ask Jesse about his studying of Muay Thai in Thailand, but he did actually get to open up about a lot of interesting things during our chat. How long did you spend writing the album and also, you know, recording it? Okay, writing it. We started coming up with the basic concepts, I guess, uh, would have been like around May 2016. Uh, trying to figure out exactly where we wanted to go sonically with it and whether or not we even really wanted to be a band anymore at that point. 
at that like that was after the success album cycle and we did a gigantic north american tour and kind of just completely hit a wall shane didn't want to tour anymore didn't really even want to play drums so we just went well let's let's take some time off cool off see where we pick up when we when we pick up if we pick up and uh i guess scott and i started writing some material around may of that year but really didn't dig into anything until probably like January 2017, seriously. And we largely put the the whole record together um, from January through probably the fall of 2017. Then recording it, we did it this January with Andrew Schneider and our friend Craig, Craig Boychuk here in Winnipeg and uh, pushed that whole thing out in January, mastered it in March. Uh, I guess actually February and March. I was in Thailand when we mastered it. I, we basically once it was mastered, it was it was more or less done. Submitted it to season and missed. Got a new deal with New Damage for uh, Canada, and uh, we were off to the races and trying to plan all the promotion around it. I guess I was actually also planning all the video stuff while I was in Thailand too, submitting applications and blah blah blah. It's been a busy year. Going back to 2016. The first song a couple, you know, EPs ago, German Businessman, was a bit of a change in direction. Was that done intentionally <laughs> yeah. in putting it as the first song on the release? Uh, for Nerve, um, we, that, we, that was actually the last song we wrote in preparing for the success record. And it was actually kind of more or less a joke song. Uh, we came up with a premise on a tour we did with Hark uh, that fall in 2014. And it was a... a series that we constructed on our instagram with our friend garrett jameson who's the comedian that we've toured with a bunch of times and he started doing this short skit titled the german businessman where he'd he'd cut a joke and it would usually last only like 10 to 15 seconds long and then we decided to turn it into a song after that so we made a song out of it um after we recorded it with uh steve while we were doing the success record we didn't really feel like it fit in with the rest of the album per se so we, we made an Odds and Sods EP out of all the leftovers from that recording session and made the Nerve record. Not even really so much as it was meant to be like a, a change in direction or anything, as it was supposed to be a release to kind of just put out the last of that session and have a little bit of fun so people don't think we went away forever. Now, is it a coincidence that all of your releases have been one-word titles? Absolutely no coincidence there. That's completely on purpose. We always liked how the Jesus Lizard did that. So we we decided that, although they did it with four-letter words, um, we decided that we'd only ever stick to single letters, or single word album titles, rather. I did also see on Spotify that you guys posted the ultimate workout mix. Who in the band put that together? Was that you? That was me that put that one together. That actually is a very similar mix to one that I constructed probably... The first one I made must have been years and years ago on an iPod. Um, but the, the, the version that I kind of based that off of, I think I made that in 2016, and I'd been listening to it for probably the bulk of 2016 and earlier part of 2017, just every day on my way to the gym. And I kind of wanted to capture that the feel of that mix in some of the material we were writing for this record. I, just, I wanted something mean and nasty that you could exercise to and that also breaks you know yet another stereotype that a lot of bands that are hardcore metal influence they're known to be very serious in the music but then offstage also a bit serious you guys are very jovial and there's a lot of you know humor in what you do is that a conscious thing 
Oh, definitely. We comedy's actually always been a a big part of what this band's been about, at least for the past probably six years. We're big fans of stand-up comedy, and we've taken Garrett out with us a bunch of times. Uh, it's just it, it's part of I think a, a well-balanced cultural diet. <laughs> uh, for us, this band kind of since we've been in it for our entire adult lives, we try to make it more or less encapsulate kind of what we're about as people and and comedy's always been a big part of that so we've we've tried especially the last two records it's been a more collaborative lyric writing process and we've we've definitely interjected a lot more comedy into it whether people actually pick up on it or not is another thing but that's kind of beyond our control sure now is it difficult to be a band from manitoba and that question comes from the fact that i can't imagine there's a lot of record companies or a lot of industry there so therefore you'd have to go on the road and go out to you know make an impact yeah it, it's definitely tough like the 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 way a lot of bands on the east or west coast approach it that uh kind of you crawl, walk, run, right? You start locally, then start building out regionally, and eventually start doing national, international touring. And for a band like us, we kind of have to go all in all at the same time because there's nothing close to here. If you want to play a big city, the closest one is across an international border, and it's an eight-hour drive away. Uh, and in Canada, if you want to hit the next closest city with a million people it's a 15-hour drive away so it's it's definitely there are barriers to entry to that sort of thing for a band from winnipeg and especially heavy music because there is like really no organized community here shy of the the handful of bands that play locally and try to get out but like in terms of like international labels that have an effect we've got no list records but they they aren't by any means a large label that kind of has any pull um, they, they do a lot of great things in the noise community with uh, LPs and whatnot, but it's, it's definitely not a, 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 la a buzz label by any means. No offense to our friend Lee. Definitely, it's tricky. It's trickier than it would be for someone, say, in Toronto. <laughs> well, who is the first band with roots from Winnipeg that you feel made an impact on an international basis? Was it, for example, Fozzie? Oh, God. Um, in terms of someone that tours and actually made an impact in the heavy world, I'd say bands like Propagandy would easily be the, the, the biggest and most profound, uh, being kind of more early 90s there. Um, in terms of heavy music, you'd kind of delve more into the figure four or combat kid in terms of like hardcore. Still hasn't really been a lot metal-wise that's come from here that uh, at least people in our community take seriously, that a uh, that have any kind of international draw. Got it. <laughs> so it's not Fozzie. I, I would never consider Fozzie a Winnipeg band by any means, just because, I mean, Chris Jericho's from here, or what? Is that even his real name? I don't even remember. <laughs> uh, I believe his last name is Irvine. His dad played for the Oilers and the Rangers. Yeah, that's right. And I think the Jets, too, right, while he was growing up here? Sounds about right. Something like that. But yeah, I don't think... Are any of the members of that band from Winnipeg? I never considered them a Winnipeg band. Well, the funny thing is he identifies as being from Winnipeg, but he actually was born and initially raised here on Long Island in New York. Yeah. I think it's more marketable somehow to be from Winnipeg. Yeah. Well, I mean, he grew up here, so that's why he kind of feels that affinity for it. And I think his dad's Canadian, too, so... 
but that that is kind of weird. I'd, I'd definitely never consider that band a Winnipeg band. Besides loved, you know, promoting that, what else is coming up for the band? Like, what does the next year or two look like for you guys? Oh, a year or two. Man, we are just getting uh, geared up to go on some fall tours. Past that, I don't really know. We'd like to keep doing some shorter, sporadic touring through 2019, kind of keep this record cycle going. Um, we, we can't really tour like we used to, because for like six years we were touring full-time, like we're talking six to ten months a year. But uh, now that we're working day jobs again, that's pretty much impossible. We can get away for a couple weeks at a time, but we, we just we can't dedicate that amount of time anymore. It, just, it doesn't make sense. We, we did the, the work hard shtick, now let's work smart. Um, plus we have clients we have to work for, so that's just silliness. Um, so we're hoping to get out a few times next year, do some more touring in, in the States and, and hopefully Europe, maybe hit up some festivals if at all possible, and then maybe start writing whatever's next. I, 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 it's always nice to kind of take some, some downtime after making a record to reset a little, hopefully uh, find some new areas to draw from. So right now I have no idea what whatever's next will sound like. I really haven't. I've been working on a little bit of stuff with uh, a friend of ours here who's been jamming with us in Winnipeg. But, uh, yeah, in terms of how a full length will come together, I have no hot clue right now. Probably something aggressive, though. The only cool music I've been hearing lately is all death metal and black metal. and Everything's so harsh. <laughs> so I guess in closing, any last words for the kids? I hope people come out to the shows. Uh, I hope people enjoy the record. And if you do and you collect vinyl, pick up some of the exclusive stuff we've got because we're trying to move that wax and they look so pretty that album cover is so creepy and it's so awesome on an lp last but not least i spoke with andrew wk whose latest album you're not alone was his first new album in a decade when you talk with andrew wk he's every bit as insightful inspirational and awesome as you would hope the last time I interviewed you, you t- were talking about putting party powder on the market. Is that still something that might happen? Yes, it's something I still hope to do, and hopefully we can find a manufacturer that also wants to work with us. Got it. Now, is the plan to put out multiple varieties, or is there just one flavor for it? Certainly, I would start with one flavor that was designed to be the most appealing, the type of flavor that uh, contains within it all other flavors. Maybe that's sort of a party punch. Um, but you can certainly specialize and extend the, the offerings. I, from my experience, once you like a flavor, or once I like a flavor, I like that flavor indefinitely and um, will stick with it, whether it be the, the, the flavor of fudge, the flavor of ice cream, the, uh, the flavor of fruit. But there's a lot of people out there with a lot of flavor preferences and I would want to invite as many to the party, as many of them to the party as possible. Sure. Now on the food end, of course, both the taco guitar and the pizza guitar were very big deals internationally. Uh, has there uh, been talk of doing a third guitar? Doing a third guitar is something I've uh, had in mind for quite some time. I've had a, a few different ideas for what that third guitar could be. It's always a matter of I suppose the, the physical integrity of the instrument, not every shape lends itself to a playable guitar. And, and one of the great, uh, the greatest things about both the taco guitar and pizza guitars, because of the 
master crafts people at ESP, the guitar company who uh, produced both of those guitars, they were able to um, not only create the guitar with such uh, style and, 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 and flair, but also it's, they're the best playing guitars that I've ever owned, perfectly balanced. Anyone who has picked up and held or played either the taco guitar or pizza guitar was always initially blown away by how uh, perfectly balanced they were. I think people expected them to be more just nice-looking guitars, and, but not necessarily nice playing. But they play really well, so I always try to take that into consideration when thinking of another design. But you'll ha we'll have to just wait and see. Um, it'll be a few years at least. And also on the food end, well, before I ask about that, uh, are you still living out of hotels primarily? Because that's some, that's another thing about you that's very interesting to a lot of people. Uh, well, yeah, hotels and staying with family when, when possible. I'm in a hotel right now. Something that you talked about in the past where you refused to have an apartment because you kind of realized that the cost of staying at a hotel every night in New York City would actually be cheaper or the same amount as... Uh, a regular apartment was that the case, or did I misinterpret that? No, that 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 was accurate. Um, but also, I, I don't. I haven't been living in a hotel in New York. I've been living in hotels uh, all over the country, um, including New York. And uh, when somebody like yourself is living at hotels primarily, that can't mean that you're you know staying in a lot of places that have kitchens. So how is it that you're able to maintain such a good diet and physique? Uh, right. Well, yes, the rooms that I have been staying in do not have kitchens. Um, just I, I can't afford larger rooms that, that would. I mean, at that point, it would be more like a, a, an apartment. So they do not have kitchens, which is fine with me. Never been a big uh, cooker, personally. So uh, most of the rooms do have microwaves, which is a great, I, 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 from what I've seen, a great recent effort that many hotels have made to uh, allow the guests to have at least a few more options with, when it comes to food. And from my experience uh, eating over all these, all these years, if I have a refrigerator or microwave, that's pretty much I've always ever, all that I've ever used to prepare food, even going back to uh, being a young child. I'm not proud of this. Uh, and yeah, I'm not ashamed of it either. I would be in doing this in bad taste if I didn't ask you some questions about You're Not Alone, which is a great album. Uh, given the long time that you spent making the album and the long time you spent before releasing it, is there a lot of leftover material so we might see another album from you in the near future? That's an excellent question, and, and I appreciate your optimism. There, There is always a, a lot of leftover material. I don't know that I would call it leftover. Um even many of the songs that appeared on uh, You're Not Alone were songs that I had been working on from before uh, the previous album, Close Calls with Brick Walls. Some of these songs date back to 2005. So there's there's just always a, a collection of material that's being worked on, and some of that winds up on one album or another. There's even material that goes back to before the very first album that I haven't finished or haven't felt uh, was ready to be released for whatever reason. You try to follow those uh, instincts about when to put a particular song on a particular release. But it's nice to always have uh, some amount of material um, standing by. 
at the same time, I actually have begun recording uh, brand new material. And from my experience as well, it's, it's always refreshing, more stimulating just to start completely new than to go back into something that's already been perhaps overwrought with effort, but know that it's there. It kind of provides a safety, I suppose, that you're, that you're not necessarily starting from a complete void, but having that sense of security that there is existing material can give you the confidence to then go and create entirely new songs. Given that you spent so much time on so many different songs, are there any songs of yours that actually you just wrote in an hour or two and those are songs that we know? Yeah, that happens a lot. It, it almost seems that maybe in a similar sense, this, this idea of contrast, that having a lot of songs standing by enables you to uh, make up new ones at, 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 in a similar sense having material that you've worked on for many, many, many hours or weeks or months or even years sometimes will allow you to come up with something within a in a matter of minutes. It's quite baffling. Uh, it's, it's bewildering even, and uh, in some ways even frustrating because I've not been able to come up with a formula or uh, an approach that consistently produces results. Just try to, take what I can get and be glad that any song ever gets done at all. At its worst, it's a nauseating um, kind of frustration, but the only relief is to push forward and try to make a new song. I mean, the, the, I think the underlying mindset is, is this idea that someday you'll make a song that, that you're happy with, because in a, in, a, in a strange sense, I'm not happy with any of them. You know, the whole thing seems like a disaster. There's a certain attitude that that's always in the back of my mind that uh, that is just disgusted with 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 everything. But that's also very motivating. I mean, it has to be motivating because if you interpret it any other way, it's completely debilitating, and you'll never make anything again. The only way to possibly justify all that frustration and that sense of disappointment and what you've already created is to use it as Maybe that was all practice that I can put into now actually making a great recording. Um, and that's, that's usually the mindset I've incorporated into into day-to-day -day life. But on the end of positivity, you are definitely an inspiring, positive person to a lot of people. Definitely somebody that a lot of people look to as a motivational speaker. But who were some of the people that inspired you as motivational speakers? Gosh, uh, I don't have a lot of familiarity with um, guess traditional motivational speakers. I've never attended a seminar. I probably should, you know. I probably would uh, learn a great deal if I actually um, participated more in that culture. I have friends. I have friends that are very into it. Um, more for business, they'll they'll go see sort of master salesmen, uh, people that are managers that go to management seminars. Um, it's not something that I ever imagined I would be doing. It, 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 motivational speaking or giving lectures in general, writing, uh, being what some would consider a, a positive role model or a role model in any regard. This was never anything that I had any ambition uh, personally towards. It's, it's, it's opportunities that have come up that I've continued to feel extremely conflicted about, but try to, uh, I don't know, follow what seems to be asked of me and because of that 
I don't know. It's it, 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 in a sense, I, I, it's something I haven't taken to heart, um, and maybe I should. I was just curious where you know the source of the positivity comes from, but related I'm just to making the- it up as I go along, I'm, I'm I'm just I end up just talking about the stuff that I that I tell myself, you know, and and, and these are for better or worse. It seems like these are um, timeless concepts that have been with humanity for as long as humanity is needed to um, cheer itself up. You know, I'm just another um, person to voice those same ideas. Is there anything you haven't yet accomplished that you're still hoping to do? I I don't know. You know, that's, that's another thing. Sometimes I feel like I've been very irresponsible and not setting clear goals, not having uh, definitive ambitions to aim towards. Um, for example, before I started doing Andrew WK, all of those goals and ambitions um, fell apart or, or were violently shattered by a variety of circumstances. And it hasn't occurred to me that maybe until just now, maybe that you know discouraged me from looking at life in that sense. I never planned on or dreamed of doing what I'm doing now. And, and that's been very confusing. All the things I dreamed of doing um, didn't happen. And perhaps I gave up too, too quickly. Uh, you know, I, was, I was quite young at that time, you know, in my teen years, that, that's how I thought life worked, that you think of something you want to do and you try to force it to happen. And that never, never really worked for me, um, something else would come along that I wouldn't have expected um, or, or really even had the courage to dream up that w- was sort of better than anything I could have dreamed up or, or certainly more challenging or interesting. It wasn't predictable. I didn't have control over it the same way. It wasn't something I had visualized. It was something that just appeared. And then it was more, do I have the courage to follow through on, on this? I, that's, that's been my experience with Destiny very little relation to what you are interested in in a conscious way and will make demands of you that exceed your abilities that even fall outside what you'd consider your interests or your personal self and then you have to submit to your own fate and that's what i've tried to do so um i don't know we'll just see what happens i guess so i guess in closing any last words for the kids just never stop partying Thanks for listening to the Paltrowcast with Darren Paltrowitz on the Pure Grain Audio Network. More information on the Paltrowcast can be found online at www.puregrainaudio.com. Until next time, have a great Shabbos.